It's time for the Alien Conspiracy Podcast. We are your hosts, Agent ETA, Agent Ether, and Agent Anderson. Come along as we examine UFO sightings, conspiracies, and all things strange. You can follow the show on Twitter at AlienConPod. Probably not for long, though, the way things are going. We also have an email address, alienconpod at protonmail.com. We would love to hear from you. And don't forget to check out all of our other wonderful links in the description on the link tree. This week's episode, The Child's Witted UFO Encounter. How would you pronounce these names, Agent Ether? Just, just how you did. Child's Witted? Yeah. I've heard Chills, Chiles. Uh, it's spelled Chilies, <laughs> but I don't think anybody yeah. says it that way. Well. That, you know, What if your pilot was named Chilies? That would be kind of strange. What, what do you think, uh, ETA? How, do, how would you pronounce these names? I think I agree with the way you pronounced it. I mean, I've heard, I've, like, I've seen a couple of videos, and like that's the way it was pronounced in... in by other people that I heard, you know, when you're reading like an article about this, like you really have no, you know, you don't know how it's supposed to be pronounced unless like it's specifically laid out there for you, you know, but I I think that's the right way to pronounce it. Yeah. Well, we'll go with it then. All right. This one goes all the way back to July 24th, 1948. Uh, classic. This is one of the classic cases. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's from, uh, so what we're talking about here is an Eastern Airlines Douglas DC-3, which I won't go on my, you know, aviation nerd rant that I normally do. I'll just leave that for the, uh, for the fishes, I'll I guess. Ju- I'll just say I've, I've always loved the way that, that airplane looks. It's yeah. just a classic looking airplane. It's not a huge, it's, it's a decent sized airplane, but excuse me, it's, it's a good looking one. Yeah, it sure is. Yeah, for sure. The pilots in charge of the plane were Clarence Childs and John Whitted. Claire, uh, Childs was the pilot and Witted was the co-pilot. Most of the passengers were asleep at the time of the sighting, but there was one pi- uh, one passenger that was awake that did see the UFO. It's a small plane, right? They said there were, what, 24 passengers? Yeah, it's nothing like the passenger planes we have these days that we fly on. But, oh, yeah, nowhere near. But it was, it was a decent size. There were, you know, there were passengers. There's people on there. Going from point A to point B. <laughs> this, well, it's not like a two-seater plane. I, I wouldn't necessarily call it a small plane, but I wouldn't call, call it a large one either. You know, it's, yeah. it's Oh, and before yeah. I forget, this topic was voted upon by our Patreon subscribers. We've got three tiers. The first gets you early access and ad. Well, we don't really have ads anymore, but when we do have ads, it'll be ad-free. <laughs> I stopped doing the ads momentarily for reasons. So it'll get you early access and after hours, the middle tier gets you bonus episodes and the top tier allows you to vote on upcoming topics. This week's bonus episode, we did a review of Magic Mountain because, or, or um, Agent Redacted and uh, and I did a review because the other agents were unavailable, but we went there last week sort of on vacation. So that's what why we didn't have an episode ready last week, or we didn't record one last week, because we were at Magic Mountain going some coasters. So we did a lengthy review of that place, believe it or not. I think it ended up being like an hour and 40 minutes or something Good crazy Lordy. like that. Really? Yeah. We went on some tangents. Enthusiasts so. there. I know. Oh, yeah. We love we love us some roller coasters. So yeah, this was a week, damn good time. 
Yeah, this week there was a tie between the Charles Wooded UFO encounter and um, what what was it? Uh, cursed lottery winners. So next week's topic uh, bonus episode will be cursed lottery winners. That's what we're gonna oh. do is the bonus, and then the regular episode they are voting on right now. They had their choices. I gave them were, I think it was um, the Bermuda Triangle and oh. and false flags uh, are the ones. So I can already tell you which one's gonna win. You think it's gonna be Bermuda Triangle? I, I do. I yeah. do. Everybody loves. When I was a kid, yeah, I was just that must have been the first phenomenon I'd ever heard of, even before UFOs. Yeah, and you always are like, whoa, what's going on in the Bermuda Triangle? I want to get lost in the Bermuda Triangle, right? As a kid, did you think that? Yeah, or do you? I don't. Yeah, but as a kid, I did. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's true. That's one of the early ones that I heard of myself. So it'd be a fun one if that's what they choose. But all right, enough with that. Let's get to it, um, or get back to it, anyways. <laughs> this happened. I'm doing like a case summary, and then I'll talk about like the witness specific witness statements and some stuff that I found in the blue book files. And we we have lots of stuff to go over. We'll see how much we get through. We'll probably get through most or all of it. All right. So this one happened near Mo- Montgomery, Alabama, and the plane was flying at about 5,000 feet altitude. And that's quite a lot lower than fl- planes, uh, passenger planes these days fly, you know, like 30,000 feet plus because the technology is just different. You know, we're, we're flying in you know, these big jet airplanes with pressurized cabins and all that stuff. Although this one... This one definitely had a pressurized cabin, I'm sure. Well, I don't know about definitely, but probably you'd imagine it would because it'd be pretty damn cold at 5,000 feet if it wasn't, you know, somehow Mm -hmm. sealed up. The conditions were clear with scattered clouds and the moon was apparently four days past full. So really good visibility. There was no haze or anything like that. Just really good visibility. This happened at 2.45 a.m. That's when the pilot's saw the object people flying a red eye yeah and this is one of three classic cases that convinced project saucer that or project sign whichever that the air force or from the air force that ufos were real and this led to the this case among others led to the infamous estimate of the situation which was published in 1948 where the project concluded that some UFOs were interplanetary. So this is sometimes debated by the skeptics whether or not this document exists, but it has been confirmed by not just Ruppelt, who saw the document, but also by some other people involved with the project, such as J. Allen Hynek. It's pretty... Uh, I think it's pretty slam dunk that this document actually existed. We've talked about it before on the show. Now, if you read the Wikipedia about this, Wikipedia says that, yeah, there's nobody else. It says on there, the article says nobody else corroborated the existence of this document. Not true. Other people did corroborate its existence. And it says that, you know, it probably is more of a, a UFO myth than it than being real. And it uses like a lot of hand waving and stuff like that. And it says it quotes like a popular mechanic article. Like, what's popular mechanics have to do with any of this? Like, who are they? Like UFO experts now? Popular mechanics? Like, what? Why are you even quoting them? Like, they had some quote saying that it wasn't real, basically. But um, you know, Wikipedia—it's not the best source. It might be a good place to start, but for this particular topic, I was reading it earlier, and I was pretty shocked at just how inaccurate their page was for. 
oh, it's part of another page, but how inaccurate they were on the estimate of the situation. But it just completely blows me away that in 1948, 1948, an Air Force Force project tasked with investigating UFO sightings concluded that they were interplanetary in 1948. So Mm -hmm. I think I said last time, all right, we're done here. Time to shut down the show. (laughs) Nothing, nothing more to see here, (laughs) but we don't have any existing copies of this. Although rumors, rumor is that a few copies were kept as souvenirs. So I'm hoping that one turns up eventually in somebody's attic. Who knows? It's possible. Although very unlikely worth a lot of money. That would be worth quite a lot of money. Yes. Uh, yeah, pro- probably somebody would buy it and wouldn't release it to the public. That would be unfortunate. But I can tell you what's probably in there is probably similar to um, Special Report 14 in some ways, where it presents uh, certain cases that they think are good evidence. It analyzes the cases to an extent, and then it has a conclusion of what they think and why they think that. Some people say that uh, this is going a little far afield, maybe, but there is speculation that uh, the, what was this, uh, Vandenberg, the um, the guy in charge, the head honcho of the Air Force, had them take out references to Roswell, and then the then he said there's no physical evidence, so that's why he kicked the report back down, declassified it, and put them all to the incinerator. But that's what mm-hmm. he said, was that there's no physical evidence supporting this conclusion, and that's why he... You know, the head honcho said, no, nah, I'm not buying this bull mahaki. But the people actually investigating it, you know, they thought that these things were interplanetary. So that's very interesting. Yeah. So this is one of the cases that led to that conclusion. All right. So the pilots themselves reported their sighting right after landing in Atlanta, Georgia, and they were interviewed by Project Sign. Originally, they thought that the UFO was some sort of secret USAF aircraft. Which then begs the question, why report it to the Air Force? But maybe it was for reasons of safety, because this thing came fairly close to their plane. Maybe mm-hmm. they were reporting it to be, to be basically to say, hey, please don't buzz our airplane. <laughs> it's not safe. <laughs> but who knows? Um, maybe that's in their, you know, their descriptions later on. It was also seen by an Air Force crew on the ground at Robbins Air Force Base, and uh, there was actually some other sightings that were pretty similar that I'm sure we'll get we'll get to. But all right, say okay. So before I get into the actual witness statements, do does anybody have anything they want to sort of pipe in? You know, mention, talk about, discuss. Well, I did want to mention uh-huh. the background of okay. these gentlemen. They they were former military, right? So they weren't just airline pilots, commercial. They had uh, military experience. They were in the army and flew planes during the war. Yeah, so they were pretty familiar with stuff. Not just familiar, because they said they hadn't seen anything like this before. And they did say, you know, we're sure it's not a meteor, that they'd actually seen meteors while flying in the sky. So they said, whatever it is, this is man-made. And I think when you have somebody with that level of expertise, you certainly can't dismiss what they're saying. And so for... To conclude anything else than than what they're saying, I think, is unreasonable. Yeah, and the the idea that a pilot would not be able to correctly identify a meteor, come on. We're getting a little ahead of the, we're we're getting to the punchline here, which is 
that, you know, after the fact, they reevaluated the case and said that it was just a meteor. But initially, that was not the case. In fact, the report says explicitly that it was not a meteor. And I'll read that quote later on when we get to it. But all right, let's talk about it here. First, we'll go through the um, the statement from the um, the the or the captain, Captain uh, Childs. And here we go. I have this is directly from the Blue Book files, which is the file for this one is quite extensive. It's about 160 pages. Lots of great stuff in there. We definitely don't have time to talk about all of it. We'll just do some highlights. But then again, a lot of it is documenting things like requests for, you know, flight paths and things like that. And then the flight paths themselves that were sent out, stuff like that. That's probably not really all that great for a podcast episode, you know. You can't really, well, it would be a very boring episode if we ran down all the flight paths. But anyways, here is the, the witness statement. The following is a report of an unidentified aircraft, which was cited by Redacted and me as we were 20 miles southwest of Montgomery, Alabama, July 24th, 1948, as we were on Eastern's trip 576. At 2.45 a.m., we were cruising at 5,000 feet when there came what looked like a jet type of aircraft to our right and slightly above meeting us. It was a clear moonlight moonlight night with the visibility excellent. Therefore, we were able to view the ship as it passed for a period of around 10 seconds. It was clear there were no wings present, that it was powered by some jet or other type of power shooting flame from the rear some 50 feet. There were two rows of windows, which indicated an upper and lower deck. From inside these windows, a very bright light was glowing. Underneath the ship, there was a blue glow of light. After it passed, it pulled up into some light broken clouds and was lost from view. There was no prop wash or rough air felt as it passed. After talking to the only passenger awake at the time, he saw only the trail of fire as it passed and pulled into the clouds. I called the company at Columbus and asked if there were if there was any reported jet army craft and requested if the ATC had any aircraft under control. I was told that no such craft was reported by either source. <clears throat> and I know it might be a little dry, but I think it's very, very important to see what did the witness actually say. It's not always easy to get your hands on the exact witness statement that they put out right after the sighting rather than what they told the news a couple years later or whatever. But if you can get your hands on these reports, these are very, very interesting reports. I think these are the best sources possible. Yeah, I totally agree. Although I do have some quotes from news articles specifically, but they basically follow along with the statement that you just read. Yeah, and some people will say there's discrepancies between certain reports, and that means that they're lying, you know, like skeptics. But just imagine yourself in a situation where you see something highly unusual like this. You might describe it differently depending on who you're talking to. You might remember details that you forgot to put in the first time. So I don't think it's necessarily 
a red flag to see slight variations. Of course, when you have huge variations like, you know, from the Rendlesham witnesses or some of the Rendlesham witnesses, that uh, that's definitely a red flag. But <laughs> but this is not a Rendlesham type case. So, all right. Now, here we have a statement from the co-pilot. And uh, this was um, witted, but it's, you know, the names are redacted in here, mostly redacted. It's funny because, as usual, you'll be reading through the reports and they'll redact the name in every case except for like one. And you're like, ha, gotcha. You did forgot to redact mm-hmm. that one. It's pretty funny, actually. But all right, here's the statement of redacted. I was flying co-pilot for Captain Redacted on trip 576, which left Houston, Texas, at 8.40 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Friday night, July 22nd, 1948. Huh, I wonder if that's a typo. Anyways, at 2.45 EST, we sighted a strange object coming towards us at a high rate of speed. We were at 5,000 feet, and our position was 25 miles southwest of Montgomery, Alabama. The strange object had a stream of red fire coming from its tail. I assumed that it was a jet... That reminds me this one time. (laughs) I assumed it was a jet-type airplane of the Army or Navy, but as it came nearer, I could see that it was much larger than any Army or Navy jet that I have ever seen. (laughs) Buddy, right into the microphone, too. That's very rude. These dang crypt. What are they? What are they barking at? Even probably poltergeist or something. Yeah, our house is haunted. Oh yeah. Uh, I don't know. Probably not. But there was that one time. Remember, I, I think I said talked about it on the show where our dog Toby, when he was a puppy, when we first got him, there happened. I think two or three times where I was doing something. Like one time, I was folding laundry in the bedroom, and I was all by myself. There's nobody else in the house. And he acted like somebody had walked into the room. Like he, he went down on his haunches, like on, you know, on all fours or whatever. And he looked, he was acting aggressive and he was sort of like acting weird. And then he sort of looked as if, as if whatever it was exited the room and went out of the hall into the hallway. And he sort of went out there and kind of peeked around the corner. Like he was looking at it. I was like, Toby, what are you doing, dude? You're creeping me out, dude. (laughs) It's pretty creepy, pretty creepy behavior. But it yeah, only happened a couple it. times. Yeah. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> All right. Back to the witness statement. I assumed that it was a jet type airplane of the army or Navy, but as it came nearer, I could see that it was much larger than any army or Navy jet that I have ever seen or read about. It passed us on the right side of our DC three. I estimate its speed in the neighborhood of 700 miles per hour, but this is purely a rough estimate. We were holding a compass heading of 50 degrees and the object passed us going in the opposite direction. To me, the object seemed about half a mile from us, flying straight and level. And as far as aviation terms go, half a mile is still fairly close. I mean, you got to think about how fast they're traveling up there. I could see no wings supporting the object. The object was cigar-shaped and seemed to be about 100 feet in length. Dang, that's that's a pretty big one there. The fuselage appeared to be about three times the circumference of a B-29 fuselage. It had two rows of windows, an upper and a lower. The windows were very large and seemed square. They were, uh, they were white with light, which seemed to be caused by some type of combustion. I estimate 
that we watched the object at least five seconds and not more than ten seconds. We heard no we heard no noise, nor did we feel any turbulence from the object. It seemed to be at about five thousand five hundred feet. I asked Captain Redacted what we had just seen, and he said that he didn't know. Captain Redacted then contacted the company radio operator at Columbus, Georgia, and asked him to contact Lawson Field at Fort Benning, Georgia, and find out if the Army had any jet or experimental planes in the vicinity. The company operator called us a few minutes later and stated that Lawson, um, that it stated, uh, looks like that, yeah, okay, that Lawson Field reported that they had no planes flying in our area. Captain Redacted then reported back to the company radio operator saying that a strange um, aircraft just passed us and it looked like some type of rocket ship. We passed up Columbus because of ground fog and continued on to Atlanta. And those are the two main witness statements. And that's the main, basically the main sighting. It's amazing. It's a pretty interesting sighting. The UFO itself, the description is similar to a lot of other sightings I've seen, but the flames coming out the end of it are somewhat unusual. I have seen reports like that, but there's not that many of them. I've seen, uh, I've I've experienced something like that myself. Oh yeah? Actually. (laughs) Tell us about it. uh, You ever lit your own fart on fire before? (laughs) No, I'm always too afraid that I'm going to burn my butt. Ah, ball hockey. I think it's, it's fine. As long as you have a good asshole threshold, you'll be good to go, you know? But yeah, I, I, have, I have many videos of, of uh, my flaming farts. I just never posted them online, really. You, you know? should post them on the Discord. Well, it was, it was, it was funny. Well, maybe I should, you know? Yeah. <laughs> By the way, I, uh, anybody who's unfamiliar, we have a Discord. Um, there's no paywall. You can sign up if you like. You can find it under our link tree. Just come on over and say hello. You know, we're there. Uh, I don't think ETA is on there as much, but I'm on there and Ether's on there sometimes. And then Redacted is on there once in a great while. But yeah, if you want to come and chat about weird stuff or whatever, just come on and sign up. Yeah, I'm not on there too often. I'm too busy lighting my farts on fire. Yeah, it's know? a it's a busy hobby, I guess. It is. It's, it's amazing. It's just amazing that I can actually produce flame out of my, my bunghole, you know? Ether's giving me the, the scissors. I, you know, <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, this is this is stuff people like to hear. Okay, I, I, I think, yeah, no, I remember rediscovering it. You know, in my later years, and, I, and like I was just like, God damn, I forgot about this. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, I guess that does bear some similarity to the uh, Charles Wooded case. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on in the file, um, Agent Anderson kind of looked at the front of the file and I kind of looked towards the back. Mm-hmm. And we did this comic book sort of bonus episode um, for our Patreon subscribers, which is why I was so amused to find a comic book on this case. Yeah. And I have no idea what it's doing in the file. Like, why would they <laughs> include it in the file? It's a comic book. So I don't, I mean, and it doesn't say where it's from, like what comic it's from. It just says, the Eastern Airlines case, 
Project Saucer, case number 144. And it's obviously from the drawing itself and from the language, you can tell that it's older. I wonder if somebody inside the project made that because as far as I'm aware, the like the the number of the report isn't necessarily made public knowledge. I don't ever recall seeing a case referred to as, you know, report number 144 or report number this or that. I don't know because at the end, at the very end, it says, why did Project Saucer change its mind? And initially, because <laughs> it says initially the object is classified as unidentified. And then in caps at the very bottom, why did they change their mind? So that doesn't sound like oh, something yeah. internal. That no. sounds like something that was written later on, but not recently. Yeah. You know, so I was like, well, that's that's pretty funny. I'd have to review the history of it because yeah. Rupert does talk about this case in his book, which, by the way, I have read his book for this podcast. If you want to go back in the podcast feed, it's there, all 20 chapters. But I think he uh, he was tasked with reevaluating a few of the older cases or many of the older cases. So that might be part of the reason why they changed their evaluation. Maybe, yeah. In the first strip, in the first, what would you call it, cell of the comic? Yeah, I think so. The pilot's like, good lord, look! And his co-pilot says, what in the world is that? <laughs> <laughs> and then when the when the flying craft misses them, and it's drawn uh large and like a UFO, mm-hmm. like their description. Yeah. Uh, and when it passes them by, one of the pilots goes, woo, W-H-E-W, <laughs> woo, <laughs> glad it missed. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so funny. Yeah. Oh, man. But yeah, they, they take it from the witness statements because there's quotes from from the pilots and then they make this, and it's only two pages. I should just post it mm-hmm. online so people can see it because it's pretty funny. Yeah, post post it on um, on the on Discord, social media, or or Discord. Facebook. Yeah, we have a Facebook as well. Yeah. So yeah, I just wanted to go over that real quick. That was that was pretty funny. Um, and then I have a couple. Do you want me to go over the newspaper clippings? Yeah, whichever. Okay. Yeah. So some of these don't state which newspaper they're pulled from like here it's handwritten very faintly i think it says connecticut atlantan pilots report wingless sky monster and i saw a lot of news articles <laughs> refer to it as a sky monster weird or a flame shooting wingless craft the hmm. wingless aircraft okay which that is, seems a little ridiculous to me. I mean, the way that those pilots <laughs> describe what they saw, I I couldn't have got that out of their description. You know, I don't know what they what are you talking about. So in the first newspaper clipping, I have oh my god, I need reading glasses. Uh, when it is reported as saying, if you look at one of those fantastic Flash Gordon rocket ships in the funny papers, you've got a picture of what we saw. Hmm. Do you remember that funny papers instead of calling them comics? Like yeah. way back when? That's how you can date this case. The yeah. funny papers. Oh yeah, this is an old case. An old case, definitely. So he had kind of a mental image. And some of the skeptics argue that because of the heightened awareness of UFOs, that it was very easy for him to make that connection that it was a UFO when in fact it was a meteor. So that is 
That is one thing. And uh, Witted says, as a B-29 bomber pilot during the war, he saw a lot of strange things over Japan. So I guess he was stationed hmm. over there, but never anything like that. I wonder if he's talking about the Foo Fighters. Oh, maybe. Uh, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yep. They were apparently very commonly seen, like really common. But I don't know. We did an episode on that. And then he says, as if the pilot had seen us and wanted to avoid us, it pulled up with a tremendous burst of flame out of its rear and zoomed up into the clouds. Its prop wash or jet wash rocked our plane. Hmm, that's actually contrary to what their witness statement said. Yeah. And that's why you go to the original witness statements because the newspapers tend to sensationalize things. But it does say that it was so bright, they felt like they had lightning blindness, which I guess happens when there's lightning and the the pilots have to turn on their internal like cockpit lights mm-hmm. and sensors and stuff. And that's what they did. They had to turn on their lights inside the cockpit mm. because of how bright the flames were. Yeah. I wonder how much of that is accurate and how much of it is embellishment. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just reading. Yeah. I'm just taking it from the... Uh, News articles, and one of them is quoted as saying they had goosebumps on goosebumps, which I liked. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's a good quote. Like they, so here's these experienced pilots. They've seen all sorts of things. They've been through a war, so you know they have good nerves. And they have goosebumps, and they're shooken up by this situation. Yeah. So that's kind of interesting. And then... There were some other witnesses. So I guess there's some other sightings during the evening or the day before around this period of time. And what I found amusing is not only do they give the names of these witnesses, they give their addresses. (laughs) I've seen that before. Yeah, it's J.V. Morris of 1092 Wiley Street said he and his friend, Lindsay Fell, of 1309 Metropolitan Avenue. <laughs> I'm like, really? So anybody can go to their door and ask them about this uh, witness account they're giving to the paper? Like, that's yeah. really funny. I have, seen, I, I have seen that in older news reports before. Maybe it's more, too, to be like, see, these are real people. Right. Kind of like when you sign those um, petitions. You know, People are like, can you sign this petition to get this on the ballot? And you have to give, like, your name and address. Yeah. To verify you're a real person, maybe it's something like that. But these two guys were uh, fox hunting around the Yellow River, it says. And this is in the Atlanta Constitution. And they were at the Yellow River at 3 a.m. Saturday. Isn't that a strange hour to be fox hunting? I don't know anything about fox Uh, hunting. So maybe that's that's when you do it. I don't know. That's when they're doing something. Question, (laughs) is fox fox just like a a, a breed... (laughs) Are they? Do people hunt foxes just for like the the the, the, the competition of it, like the the game, you know? Or do, do people the actually fur? eat foxes? Fox, fox fur. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, all right, that fur. makes sense. So, See, look, our house is haunted. <laughs> look, look at the TV. I know the TV's on. So it, it turned was on by itself. Three a.m. Saturday, and they saw quote an unusually bright light, as bright as the moon which appeared to be speeding westward. Morris said it was gone in a few seconds, and the time coincided with the hour the pilots, Childs and Witted, said they saw the wingless Buck Rogers craft, which they reported seeing at 2.45 a.m. 
And here's another article, Hunter's Abet Story of Wingless Aircraft, but it basically says the same thing, that there were these uh, fox hunters and they saw a craft, but it also says there were hundreds of telephone calls flooding the Civil Aeronautics Administration office in Yakima, Washington, from persons who had seen a silvery moon-sized flying bob, blob, blob wheeling across the sky from the city. Hmm. And uh, in Indianapolis, Indiana, a housewife reported she and her daughter saw a similar flame-spurting aircraft, craft, I cannot talk today, <laughs> similar flame-spurting aircraft, <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> similar, simil- no, I'm not going to be able to say this. Similar flame, flame sp- Spurting aircraft. There you go. Thursday night, <laughs> more than 24 hours before it was seen by the pilots. Yeah. She described Rowage. it as a ball of fire which shot two jet flames downward at regular intervals. And she said she watched it for about three minutes. Okay. Now, they interviewed Witted and Childs, and they were pretty excited about the whole adventure. And they apparently were going to take cameras. Mm-hmm. from now on on their flights to try uh-huh. and capture and record something. But, I mean, how likely is it you're going to see it again? And that might just be the news sensationalizing it, except I found it in a couple stories. Huh. So they got interviewed a few times by different papers, and they're like, yeah, we're going to take cameras next time. Yeah. <laughs> we want to see what's what. What sometimes will happen is they'll a reporter will interview them, and then they'll put the story out on a news wire, and it gets picked up by regional papers. Right, right. So that can happen as well. Sky monster. <laughs> yeah, I doubt they said that. Uh, uh, let's see. And I do have one more. And again, it says NYHT, July 25th, 1948. It's handwritten very faintly. Mm-hmm. What is NYHT? What do you think? NYHT? I have no NYT idea. NYT would be New York Times. Yeah. So I'm not sure what this is, where it comes from, but it's obviously a newspaper clipping. Airport men twice sight moon-sized blob. So, let's see. Hundreds of telephone calls flooded the Civil Aeronomics Administration. Now, I, I didn't realize there were other witnesses, but apparently they were. And it was termed another flying saucer by the CAA. Two control tower men at the Yakima Airport, both of whom... Oh, I can't read this. Both of whom agreed to their general description... So they saw it flying past at 2 p.m. and then they saw it again at 4.20 p.m. And it was Mr. Hunt was one of the tower men and he said he thought it was Venus. But he went ahead and checked and he said it wasn't the planet. Like Mm -hmm. he he could tell it wasn't the planet. And then the other tower control man was Mr. Robinson and he said it looked as if it had flashing lights, something like an airliner's fog lights. But they both agreed it wasn't an airliner because there were none flying through Yakima at the time. So he said he makes his living by living at the, looking at the sky, but he's never seen anything like it before. Interesting. 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 Interesting indeed. So that's what I have from the newspaper articles. Yeah, there's there are reports in the file as well. I mean, from like the report that says a lot of people saw stuff around this time. Stuffs. And let's get to some of that. So the basic sighting itself is only part of the story. 
The other part of the story is that I think I mentioned earlier, the, the investigation into this thing was extensive. It was pretty gosh darn extensive. So let's talk about a little bit more from the report. And this, by the way, if you want to look this up yourself, you can find it and uh, just Google Fold 3 Project Blue Book. And then you just navigate to, um, you just have to navigate to uh, 1948, July 24th. And then you'll see it in there. It's pretty easy to find. Or Montgomery, Alabama. It might be under that. I don't know. Um, I'd have to double check it again. But yeah, it's real easy to find. You can peruse the report yourself if you like. You tapping out there, Agent Ether? Oh, okay. She's kicking her headphones because she's upset. <laughs> All right. Screw you, headphones. You take this abuse. Now, the, the report has some summaries of articles from the Atlanta Journal in one summary, it says, people all over the country seeing objects. Mrs. Noah Atkinson of Brookhaven, Georgia, saw object. C.M. Bowles of Exposition Mills, painter who lives near airport, saw object in past. In compliance with verbal instruction, oh wait, this is a different part, but yeah. In compliance with verbal instruction from Major General Cabell, Director of Intelligence, AFOI, this HQ proceeded to investigate the report concerning the sighting of an unidentified aerial object in the vicinity of Montgomery, Alabama on the 24th. And the reason why I put that in there is because this is coming, the order to investigate this came all the way up from the Major General Cabell, who's fairly high up in the chain of command. So it just proves that they were taking this incident seriously. It was not, you know, it was not like a, somebody, you know, boots on the ground or a lower ranked guy decided to investigate it. They were taking this seriously up the chain of command. All right, let's look at an air intelligence report. Oh, look at this. What's this? Bugnast posted a little, little, let's see, what is this? A little comic here or an emote? Uh, oh, it's an emoji. Okay. I, it's hard to kind of tell what it is. It looks like a, it's too tiny. It's like a little alien, but uh, I'm, I'm sure it's a good one though. <laughs> It's tiny. It's my screen, the way it is on my screen, it's hard to see. Oh, I can, yeah, I can barely see it. Let's look at uh, air intelligence information report. So this would be a report that you can find in the file, and this is talking about the incident as a whole and surrounding events. So it says here, it says detailed interrogations have been completed of persons reporting. uh, unidentified flying objects in the vicinity of Montgomery, Alabama, 24 and 26 of July, 1948, between the hours of 2130 and 0245. Analysts have been made, um, oh, analysis have been, sorry, sorry for the the misspeaking some of these words here because the the, uh, printout is very faint. That's the downside of this is that some of these are very hard to read. But anyways, Analysis have been made of the com- of the uh, compiled statements and the other available evidence of each individual interrogated. The analysis was undertaken as only um, one of 219 reported incidents with an objective of arriving towards a definite pattern or trend in order to determine whether the object reported objects reported were of domestic or alien origins. So it says it right there (laughs) in the report. They're not beating around the bush. Even just to consider that, right? Yeah. Or a natural phenomena. Now, I just got to say, I love looking through these old reports. I know I've said this before, but 
these are like legit secret documents, you know, and some of them were secret. Some of them were only, um, only restricted. Some of them were top secret. It just depends on which document we're talking about here, but these are like legit secret documents that we get to read just because this happened so long ago that it doesn't really matter that much anymore. But this is serious stuff, guys, even though it was all, all the way back then in 1948, which if you remember, by the way, 1947 is generally considered, you know, the, the dawn of the modern UFO era, they call it sometimes, when you have things like Roswell and, um, and the, uh, hold on, Agent Ether is sitting down here. My soda is hot. Soda. <laughs> you have like Roswell and the Kenneth Arnold sighting that really kicked off the whole craze. And uh, this is only only a year or so later, and already they're concluding, yep, it's aliens. <laughs> but yeah, I get really excited reading through these documents because this is the secret stuff that everybody says that they don't want us to see, but we get to see it. We don't get to see what they're doing today, but we got to see what they were doing years ago. This is pretty cool stuff. And if you read between the lines, you can find an awful lot of great information in these reports. Like, for example, they say they're trying to determine if the objects were domestic or alien origin. Whereas in later years, if you look at later reports or later public-facing statements from the project, they don't really seem to treat aliens as a legitimate explanation for anything like they don't put that as a possible explanation it's unknown is the best you can get out of them right they stop speculating about that at some point and you know i've talked about why that is in other episodes so i won't go on and on all right next paragraph comments analysis of data under um under incident uh 114 i think it, i think that's what's oh no 144 reveals that four separate cases are involved one having occurred on 24 July 1948 and the other on the 26th of July 1946. No, 48. Sorry, it's hard to read. A, a, um, a preponderance of evidence is available to establish that in almost all cases, a, um, an unidentified object was seen within the times stated and on the same dates over an extended area um, uh, turning or pursuing, I, I mean, pursuing a general course south. Descriptions as to the size, shape, and movement are fairly consistent. Size, shape, color. And then this is signed off by three different muckety mucks here. You got a captain, you got a, um, a major, and a colonel, all fairly high ranking individuals signing off in this little report here. All right. Now let's get to some more stuff in the report. There's, like I said, I'm not doing everything in there because there's quite a lot. I'm just kind of doing some highlights, but here's some, here's a highlight from the report. So it's talking about incidents one through four. And it says that before it talks about this is to exclude irrelevant factors in a systematic manner, the information presented in exhibit H, I think that's an H is presented in the order of occurrence and significance. Incident one, a. Object was sighted 24th of July 1948 between 0140 and 0150 EST from the ground at Robbins Air Force Base in Macon, Georgia. Object was again sighted from an altitude of 5,000 feet by redacted and redacted, that's Charles and Witted, 
while flying a DC-3 some 20 miles south of Montgomery, Alabama. The time of the sighting was 24 July 1948 at approximately 2.45 EST, 0245. Both the redacted sighting and that of redacted and redacted describe the object as cigar or cylindrical in shape. And then here we go. It says McKelvey perceived only the glow emitted by it. So here we go. They forget to redact a name, but that's the name of the passenger who saw the thing. Not the, that. So he's the one who saw it. He's the only passenger awake, apparently, that saw the UFO fly by. What yeah, you but doing? he didn't. He didn't really think it was a UFO, I don't think, necessarily. Yeah, he didn't see, he didn't really see like a craft. He just saw a light. Yeah. Uh, make of that what you will, I don't know. Are you, what are you goofing around? Are you doing stuff in Discord there, Agent Ether? Maybe. Maybe I posted the comic book in Discord. Oh, In the live sweet. show chat. Nice. It's, oh. It's a pretty fun comic. Um, all right. Now, next up, um, it says all observers agree that the object was traveling in a general southerly heading and that it was trailed by a flame varying in color and that it behaved like a normal craft insofar as disappearing from the line of sight was concerned. And then there's a note here that says uh, it's a known fact that atmospheric conditions such as varying degrees of humidity and incidence of light reflection often influence the color of the light observed. This would serve to explain why many observers conflict in their descriptions as to the color of light displayed by the object or its trail. What are you doing over there? Playing with the dog. Oh, I can see that. He's being very cute. <laughs> um, now, uh, next, next item, number G. Four witnesses to this sighting are involved. Three are trained observers in no instance were there any indications of subversive or ulterior influences involved. And both the redacted account and that of redacted, redacted, and redacted were officially made within a period of time that would preclude any chance of impressions being gained from radio or newspaper reports. That's an interesting state statement, I thought, because you're talking about hearing a report of well, I guess not yourself. Maybe hearing reports of other sightings is what they mean. I guess at first I thought maybe they meant hearing a report of your own account and that influencing your account. <laughs> but that's I don't huh. I don't think that's what they mean here. All right, let's see. Um, now this is all right. Now the second the second incident was probably a meteor, and it was on July twenty fourth at zero two thirty. And it was a pilot who was air or was it a pilot? I don't know. Yeah. I think it was a pilot airborne between Blackstone, Virginia and Greensboro, North Carolina. And that one, I read the, I read the description and it does sound quite a lot like a meteor. I mean, it sounds like a really big meteor that's unusually large, but it does. The report does seem like a meteor. Don't say that. Say it ain't so. Well, for the second sighting, I suppose. <laughs> not, not Charles witted, but the second one. And so the third one, this object was observed between 2100 and 2300 hours on the 26th of July at Chambly and Augusta, Georgia by observers. And then there's a whole line and a part of a line here that's redacted that's probably witnessed names, but uh, they just redacted everything instead of just the names. One of them is circled and incident number four is written in hand, uh, in handwriting. It's handwritten on there. 
This object was not thought to be a meteor in that it maneuvered. The glow was described as varied in color, but predominantly brilliant blue-white. The course was described as generally southern. And although the dates seem to indicate that the sighting could not be the same as described in Incident 1, yet the major portion of this testimony refers to a blue-white light. Observations in the first instance describe a blue glow running the entire length of the fuselage. When viewed from the ground, it is logical to assume that the blue glow would be mostly visible. And then there's a note here by um, Alan Hynek, and he says, uh, it's for, it is his further, well, it's not by him, I guess it's quoting him. It is his further opinion that it is impossible for any celestial body to maneuver violently and make sharp turns. It is extremely unlikely for heavenly bodies to appear to move slowly when passing through the lower layer of the atmosphere. And I know it's obvious, but I just wanted to throw that in there because it's kind of funny that, you know, they later try to say that this is a meteor. And even Alan Hynek, who's their, you know, their resident expert on astronomy, basically says that it's impossible for this to be a meteor (laughs) based Mm -hmm. on the witness testimony. Um, Let's see. All right. Now, incident number four was seen by five people whose names were redacted on July 26, between 2045 and 2050 at Chambly, Georgia and Augusta, Georgia. Um, oh, wait, did I already read that one? I feel like I already read that one. Let's see. Let me look at this page. I might have gotten ahead of myself here. Oh, no, I think they mentioned it. I don't think I read the account yet, though. Okay. So there was five observers, but it says... The quote is five of the observers. So that's kind of an interesting detail there. It has, it looks like five names redacted, but the report says five of the observers said the object was football shaped, that it appeared to be a green light with a silvery tail and that it observed level flight. The last observer stated that the speed was 10 K to 20 K miles an hour. And that it appeared to be a quarter size of a full moon. That's fairly large and that it was multicolored brilliant light trailing burning fragments. The terrific speed together with the description of a multicolored light trailing burning fragments seem to establish this object as a meteor, which is interesting, but that would be one heck of a meteor. And I've never seen a football shaped meteor. I suppose anything's possible. I'd be kind of scared. If I saw a football-sized meteor, I'd be like, how big is how big is that thing? Yeah. <laughs> is it going to crash, and how bad is it going to be when it does? Should I climb to the top of a mountain because we're yeah. about to get some tidal waves? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh-oh. Wait, hold on. That's my phone. I forgot to turn it off. All right. Sorry. That's my alarm to give. Oh, no. Now they're going to want some. Uh, it's, they'll, they'll live. They already got their medicine. Look at him. Look at that little face. Yeah, he's a cutie. <laughs> but I mean, they put that in there that it's a meteor, even though some of the details are consistent with the meteor, but some of them are not. But the reason they put that is because the speed of 10,000 to 20,000 miles an hour, which if something was going that fast in the sky, it would be incredibly difficult to estimate its true speed. But meteors go really fast. They are really, really fast. So that's oh, why yeah. they, they think that is, but they're more like 200,000 miles an hour. You know, they just streak by. They're much faster than what this witness said, but they could just be mistaken. I don't know. It's a weird one, but 
um, I'm on the fence about this particular sighting. And okay, here's some comments. Um, the only incident which possesses absolute intelligence significance is incident one. It is obvious that this object was not a meteor. Now, let me say that again, because this is a direct quote from the report. It is obvious that this object was not a meteor. Not a meteor. Yeah, not a meteor. <laughs> Are you sure it wasn't the planet, the planet Venus? It might have been. Yeah, it could have been Venus or perhaps a mirage of Canopus, whatever that even is. A weather balloon or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a fast-moving weather balloon. Sure, why not? <laughs> and then point number two under the comments basically talks about the witnesses being reliable. They, that's one thing they'd spent a lot of time on. We've talked about it before, but they would do background checks on the witnesses, which I, I understand, but I don't think that that's necessarily that good of a thing to do because you say, okay, well, this person is just a janitor. Then his, his testimony is not as good as somebody who's a professor. But I tell you what, man, I, I've met a lot of professors that I don't think would necessarily give reliable testimony. It depends on what kind of professor we're talking about. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I agree. Bug nasty. It probably is just swamp gas. Yeah, which was the first episode <laughs> I ever did. By the way, it was the swamp gas. It had sound effects. Really good case. Yeah, it takes a lot of time to put those in, so I, I only did that a couple times for two episodes. But it yeah. had swamp sound effects. I liked it. I it wanted like to get some stuff. I wanted to do that on every episode, but. That takes so much time to do that it is not possible for me to do a weekly episode because um, this is not my day job, you know? So in order for me to do a weekly episode, I have to cut out the sound effects. I could probably do a monthly episode if it was a sound effect. So there's the trade-off there, you know, how many episodes I want to put out. And there's so many great cases that it would kill me to do monthly because I want to get to more of these great cases. Like, there's just no end of great cases. There's so many of them to talk about. All right, and here's point number three under the comments is available information from Ordnance, Army, Navy, and Air Force Weather Bureaus, research organizations, and other, which, so these are the people that they talked to or the organizations that they talked to to see, hey, did you guys have anything in the air? But they list like everything here from Ordnance, Army, Navy, Air Force Weather Bureaus, research organizations, and other. And they're like, uh, what's nope. What's, What's other? other? <laughs> it's just, you know. Don't worry about it. It's just don't worry about it. other organizations failed to reveal any evidence of testing devices to which this incident could be attributed. Attributed? I think it's attributed. 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 No. No? Not even in England. Okay. Well, they say, <laughs> they, hey, they say aluminum is aluminum. And that's like not even close. It's crazy. All right. Now, point number four under the comments is, Apparently, it is not of domestic origin since a thorough check of 225 flight schedules, like I said earlier, those are in the report if you want to look at them. It's um, it's very interesting. They're teletyped. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of cool. I've never heard of teletyping before. It is pretty cool to flip through them. Have you heard of teletyping before? <laughs> yes. I hadn't. They're like, okay, so it's a computer, but you don't really have a printer, so instead of a telegram, you're going to type it out on a typewriter, and then it's going to get sent like across the country or whatever. And I was like, I've never yeah. heard of that. It's pretty cool. I've, yeah. I've, I've actually had to do hundreds of teletypes in, in my career. No way. I'm like, oh yeah. Yeah. Well, if, when somebody pops like a warrant or something like that, if it's out of County or out of state, you have to send teletypes to those agencies in which there are no email. You, know, you can't just email it. 
No, you have to send a teletype. Yeah. Wow. You can email too, but it's not the same thing. You know, the teletype, uh, like once you send it, it creates like an automatic, like uh, automatic, like hit or response from that agent agency. And huh. so you'll, you'll be able to understand, like you'll be able to find out like a much faster, you know, it's like an automatic thing, right? Within the system, they'll send you a message back saying we either want to extradite or we don't care about it. You know, don't, don't worry about it. You know, that's really cool. And, yeah. You know, yeah, that is cool. All right, where was I here? Let's see. Um, oh, yeah, 225 fights, uh, commercial, government. One instance did the... Okay, oh, both commercial and governmental revealed that in only one instance did the recorded reported flight paths cross. See, chart include, closed in Exhibit I. If you'd like to look at that, there is a chart. This single exception was the flight of a northwesterly direction of a C-47 en route Robbins Air Force Base to Olmsted Field, Pennsylvania. Its time of departure would have enabled it to have passed through the approximate areas on the 24th of July, 1948, where the sightings were reported. However, the factors of speed, direction of flight, maneuvers, configurations, lights, and other factors rule out this one possibility. So that's funny. They, they check all these flights to see if there's anything in the area. And they're like, oh, we found something in the area. But uh, it wasn't an airplane. <laughs> no, I actually found this report here that uh -huh. I didn't realize I have. Okay. And hold on. Oh, is this, this is a different file, right? This different file. Yeah. And it's from the Military Air Transport Services uh, I can't read who it's from, but it's Lieutenant Colonel USA Chief Intelligence Officer. Mm. And in this report, redacted, redacted, yada, yada. But point two says there was an Eastern Airlines Houston to Atlanta flight reported a similar object in the vicinity, and it was forced to alter its course Yeah, to avoid a collision. Right. And I was like, what? Like... It can't be a meteor. Yeah. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Yeah, I have notes on that one. I don't know if we'll get to it because we got a lot a lot of stuff to talk to and we're already at about an hour here. Yeah. It's always sad when we're at an hour because you know it's wrapping up. It's yeah, it's wrapping up. But this is such a great case that there's there's just so much to it, you know. It's one of those cases mm -hmm. where you got tons of evidence. Um, let's see. Oh yeah, possibility. So there's points five and six here. Uh, talks point five talks about objects that similar in configuration have been reported as follows: rocket-like objects capable of immense speed were seen during the past summer in broad daylight in Denmark, Norway, and Sweden. And B, a wingless aircraft was observed moving at high speed at Oberg Street, Arnheim, The Hog, Holland. The object was seen intermittently through clouds and was reported to have two decks so this thing was apparently seen in hmm. europe as well or at least an object very very similar to this which um which does lend to the idea that it's not anything that we made or anything that russia made because we didn't have anything with that kind of a range and if we were flying stuff around you know, like it said, like I said earlier, they asked all the different branches they could, and they all said, nope, wasn't ours. So unless they're lying and it's just very highly compartmentalized, it wasn't ours. And Russia didn't have this kind of technology either. And they certainly wouldn't have been flying it over our land unless they wanted to provoke a war. So it's, I mean, 
It's a weird one. What was it? I don't know. Or or maybe we did have that kind of technology and they were so confident in that technology and us not being caught, whatever, because you could always have, just deny it. Be like, oh, no, I don't know what you're talking about. That, that sounds crazy. You're crazy, you know? Yeah, <laughs> that could be, yeah. And then point number six is about flying fuselages, torpedo or cigar-shaped body. And then it talks, us maybe skip this. It talks about uh, it being an efficient for like a, a fuselage, but then it goes over, um, you know, some basically discussion about uh, how you would get this thing to fly, essentially, like the aerodynamics of it. Um, and then there's a uh, point D, the above estimates regarding weight, controllability, stability, etc. This coupled with the fact that aerodynamic lift on such a body would be accompanied by high drag places a serious limitation on the range of the aircraft for any particular gross weight. If this type of unidentified aerial object has extremely long range, which it does seem to have, it is probable that the method of propulsion is one which is far in advance of presently known engines. So I'm going to read that again, just for emphasis. It is probable that the method of propulsion is one which is far in advance of presently known engines engines it's right there in the report guys right there this is the kind of stuff you can find if you're willing to dig through the files they're saying it right there that it's not ours it's not anybody's this thing should not exist it's amazing what you can find digging through there yeah it's pretty cool there's a lot of really cool stuff in here i think people wouldn't be so skeptical if they realize they have access to this kind of information Right. Well, that's why I like to go over this stuff with a fine tooth comb. You know, a lot of shows don't do this kind of detail because it's um, not the most exciting podcasting, but I like to go over this stuff rather than reading this stuff and then just giving my opinion on it. Like, oh yeah, they said in the report, they said it's a UFO in the report and then it's not from this planet. Well, what does that mean exactly? How did I arrive at that conclusion? Did they really say that in the report? If I just say that, people aren't going to really believe it. They're going to be like, nah, there's no way it said that in the report. But if you look at the report, that's basically what this report is saying, that this is not ours. It's not anybody's. So you find you find some real hidden gems in here. Is that the smoking gun? No, but it is, it's pretty close, you know, pretty close to a smoking gun. They're admitting that they couldn't find anything in our military that, that this could have been. Not missiles, not aircraft, not nothing. So that's pretty cool. All right, the report concludes. The flying anomaly observed remains unidentified, and that's remains unidentified is underlined by hand in the report by like by a thick underline. As to origin, construction, and power source. Two, two A. A definite trend of flight headings has evolved as generally south. Um, as generally south in bearing three supporting evidence from separate reliable sources establish existence of this configuration and four, an aircraft of the configuration described could support itself in flight by aerodynamic means. So that's kind of how the, uh, the particular, that particular report concludes that's basically a summary of all of their investigations. That's what that report was. The end. No, no, I got plenty more here, <laughs> <laughs> but maybe I'll, maybe I'll do a little supplemental episode though, because we are getting, 
we are getting a little on in time here, and um, I do have other things I want to do, like open the windows and let the cool air in because I am sweating. <laughs> yeah, getting, I've noticed a difference uh, in my house here. It's uh, it's getting hot. Well, I seen I see in the Matrix, everybody throws off like twenty five hundred BTUs or something. Man, <laughs> we're cooking this room. we could be supporting an automated uh, computer society with our energy right now it's so funny you know how they always say glitch in the matrix our kitchen light went out and agent anderson and i were replacing it by which i mean i was like holding the step stool and handing him screws and he was replacing it you helped i helped and like i was like i could have sworn we've done this before it was like tripping me out no way (laughs) But we had, we had done it before. <laughs> well, yeah. Remember, I replaced part of that one light. Yeah, but I was really freaked out. I was like, why does this seem so familiar? Yeah. Why do I feel like we've done this before? That's Cause, funny. Because we have. <laughs> we have fixed this light before. Yeah. This, I don't, I don't know how to see. I, I don't have a ton more stuff, but I probably have at least a good 10 more minutes or 15 more minutes. So I'll do that as like a little little supplemental bonus i guess i'll record that when i get a chance and then um then i got you know i got plenty of printouts here from the from the file that i want to go over as well so who knows it might be a good half an hour we'll see if i know you it will be half an hour and become a bonus episode yeah yeah well it's gonna yeah it's gonna be just a little bonus so we'll finish up but that's i mean that's basic the basic idea and i went over most of the important points the other stuff is just sort of icing on the cake but we you know i found in in the report, I found a couple of times where they said, um, you know, they said some pretty interesting stuff. Like, uh, you know, like they basically said it's far in advance of presently known engines. They said this couldn't be ours. And they talk about in the report, they give the possibility that it could be like a nuclear engine maybe. But they they also say that a nuclear engine probably wouldn't fit on an airplane. So they're basically saying nuclear, but not really you know they just they don't know but yeah so this is a really good case it's it's one of the better ones it's a real classic and of course like we said earlier years later they came out and said that it was a meteor and you know if you read it that's why i like reading the actual witness statements because if you look at the witness statements there's not a chance this was a meteor not going yeah, up it does, back into it does the not clouds. line up no yeah no that's just absurd yeah, but all right. Well, yeah, that's all we got for you this time. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. And before I guess before we, um, we exit here, I just want to mention again that we are going to change the show's name pretty soon here. Sometime. Sometime. Soon. Yeah, somebody's working on a logo. I'm working on finding a music cue that I like. Um, wait, 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 wait. You're going to change the intro? You don't think I should? No, why would you do that? That's a terrible idea. <laughs> I don't know, just to mix it up a bit. So you think I should keep the surfer from Mars? Yes. All right, I guess forever. Keep... All right, I'll keep the surfer from Mars then. I agree. Okay. Well, we have we have uh, two votes, two votes against one. I am one. confident that Agent Redacted would feel the same. So. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll we'll keep it then. You know, no difference to me because I have um I have some digital juice stuff, which is eh. It's music. It's um, not the best, the but it's music. End the show with it. With what? With that music then. End it with the Oh, yeah, I guess. Yes. We don't, we don't really need end music, do yes, we? Yes, we do. Do we? Music's fun. Okay. It's well, fun. I guess we could end it with music. You would start it right here. Okay. 
Well, anyways, the reason I want to change the show name is because a lot of people, I think, when they see Alien Conspiracy, they expect something different out of the show than what it actually is. And there are certain guests I would like to get on to talk about things like, you know, sports controversies and, you know, things like that, that I think they would come on the show name that I have in mind, but I don't think they would come on the Alien Conspiracy podcast. Yeah, I wanted to interview somebody and they were basically like denied. Yeah, we have, <laughs> so we have gotten turned down for interviews before for topics that are not explicitly aliens or conspiracies. <laughs> so it kind of goes with the territory. So I'm going to choose a name that's a little more neutral sounding that might encompass more than just aliens and conspiracies. And that's why the name change. I love the name of the show. I like the logo. Um, you know, I don't have any problem with any of this stuff, but I do want to branch out a little bit and get some more interesting guests on the show. And that's pretty much the reason for it. And don't worry if you've bought our gear, I'm sure there'll be an opportunity to buy new gear. Yeah. In but fact, you, you've got the classic, you've got vintage. Well, what I'm going to do yeah. is I'm going to, so I still have that logo. I didn't delete it, you know? <laughs> and, um, I'm going to look to change vendors for the shirts because, this vendor is very, very cheap. If you want to buy a shirt and you catch a sale, you can probably get one for 10 bucks, but they also are not great quality. They like the, I'm, I'm actually wearing one right now and it, um, you can't put it in the dryer. Yeah. The, the, the logo starts peeling like immediately. Like the first time you wash it, it already starts degrading. So they're pretty bad quality. And I feel like, you know, I don't want to put something out there. That's, that's not great quality. So I'm going to look for a different vendor when I get a chance. The the T public is still up. You can still get our stuff on there, but um, I don't think it's the best place to go with because uh, it's, it's just really bad quality stuff. So I'm going to find a new vendor. And when I do find the new vendor, I will put our old logo on there too. So people who are fans of the classic and um, for the older episodes in the feed, I'm going to keep the old shows. I'm not going to replace the intros on the old shows. So I am going to keep those on there. But I will put a note like this, and I, I will make announcements so that it's clear to people what's actually happening, you know, so it doesn't take people by surprise. You're listening to your alien conspiracy show, then all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was subscribed to alien conspiracy. Now it says a completely different show. You know what I mean? I think they'll know because we always end with. Keep, keep it, it strange. strange. That's not going to be the, it's. That's sim that's adjacent. It's that's not going to be the exact name, but it's going to be similar to that. All righty. All right. Peace out everybody. <laughs>